Seth, this is exciting. We got our second video episode. It's our eighth episode uh, for audio. And this time we are going to completely switch gears. We're not going to be talking about SIM swapping or swatting or anything like that, but we will be talking about stalking behind a badge in Louisville, Kentucky. And for those of you watching the video, I have uh, a mug shot here just to give you a little flavor of what's coming down the road. Um, it's actually not the same person I thought it was. Um, they both just have very, very short hair. The one on the left is the main character we'll introduce here in a second. And the one on the right is a character we'll introduce later on in a second scheme um, <laughs> that, these, that the gentleman on the left is uh, involved in. So. With that, and for those of you on audio, um, it was just a mugshot on the left, and all I could really see is the person's head. And then on the right was uh, officer, like uh, it looked like a department official. It was a department photo, yeah, in his uh, dress attire, in his uh, you know uh, uniform. Yep. All right, so let's get into our case details, like we always do. So I will start with the technology. We're gonna be talking about some different stuff here, and it's not gonna be super super technical like our prior episodes it's going to be a lot of fun we're going to talk about law enforcement databases so just think when law enforcement needs to look up something they have databases that us laymen don't have access to and um <laughs> you know there you'll you'll see we have examples of it in in the episode you'll see that there's a lot of information that a police officer can pull uh very quickly the technology also has social media accounts, so it's not anything different than our first seven episodes. We're gonna be talking about, um, you know, just online accounts talking to each other. And last but not least, believe it or not, in this episode, first time ever, the technology is slushies. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry, because we're gonna explain it to you. But slushies is on our technology list this time. You wanna take the crime, Seth? Sure, so, uh... Four main issues here. One, we have the unauthorized use of a law enforcement database, which we'll get into why that's kind of scary. Uh, unauthorized use of online accounts. Definitely cyber stalking, which I think has kind of been hinted at uh, or peripheral in several other um, podcasts we've gotten into. But here it is front and center. Uh, and then the unauthorized use of a slushy, or also known as slushy gate. Don't worry, uh, this will shed light on this in, in, in a few moments. Absolutely. And the criminal here, we know it's at least two police officers. We showed you the picture, uh, but it's actually more or likely uh, several police officers. So the victims here were several women uh, regarding cyber stalking. And this was actually a fairly egregious uh, set of circumstances here, which you'll see why shortly. And then the general public, apparently, uh, although I think very various young women were targeted specifically for slushy gate. Keith, why this case? All right, so why this case? Well, I wanted to pick something that was, um, these cases don't make the news all the time. I wanted to show that criminals do exist in law enforcement community too. And when they do go bad, it, it goes bad very quick. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the first to say on the, our very first slide with, um, I'm going to show you some quotes on our very first slide. I get chills. This, this case just kind of creeps me out. So. Um, those three reasons were the reasons that I picked this case and, uh, researched it for you. So with that, please sit back and enjoy episode eight 
cyberstalking behind a badge, eat crime bites. So, Keith, I got to ask the question. Are you okay? I am okay, Seth. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, first of all, if you're listening to this on audio and you haven't caught on yet, we do have video on YouTube as well. Just go to our uh, website, and I'll talk about that more in a second, but up at the top there's a YouTube link, and go there, and you can actually watch what we're showing. But at the top of this slide I showed you, this is the old Facebook Mark Safe From Today meme. And in the middle, Seth, it says Andrea's yoga pants. And this happened this morning, and I was like, what a great morning for this to happen because I'm going to record today. And I've already got an opener. And it's, I almost didn't make it here. You almost, you almost had to do this by yourself because, see, I have, I have a drawer, and it's just, if you've seen me, I've, I'm usually like a white T-shirt, black T-shirt guy. I don't express myself much. I also have black running pants just a bunch of them. So, I mean, when I open the drawer, it's just pretty much all black in there or all white if it's t-shirts. And I pick something and I wear it and I go to work upstairs. <laughs> so I reach in there, pull out my usual black pair of pants, start to put them on and I'm starting to pull them up. And it's like, I had to really struggle to get it over my keister. And I realized that somebody put Andrea's black tight yoga pants in my running pants drawer. And I had no idea until I like strained them over myself. But after I strained them over myself, I was like, you know, I look pretty spectacular in these things, Seth. <laughs> There's a reason then, why they're so ubiquitous amongst women. Yeah. And oh my God, were they tight. And listen, I, if you listen to our first few episodes, you know that I had surgery and part of surgery is this like, these things that go on your legs, they get inflated with air and they get really tight and they kind of moves your blood around your system and stuff. And I'm telling you, these yoga pants were tighter than that mechanism on there. <laughs> I mean, they were tighter than a, at least for me, an undersized wetsuit, like the lower half. It was just, I had to have, I had to have Andrea, like help me pull them back off my feet. I'm telling you, they so were tight. We don't need to get too far into it, but there's a bunch to unpack here, Keith. First of all, the fact that you have a specific drawer holding running pants. The fact that your wife puts your laundry away is interesting because my wife will do the laundry, but I'm on my own. I'm putting this stuff away. And very often, as my kids have gotten older, there is a T-shirt that will leak its way into my drawer that I'll put it on. It looks like a Ken doll shirt because clearly I'm bigger than my 15-year-old boys, although it's getting close. Um and vice versa. Sometimes my kids are walking around in one of my shirts. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's my shirt. But clearly the bigger issue I have with this here is you must have realized within the first third of pulling those pants up that they weren't appropriate. But you went all in. You're like, no, no, no. I'm putting these suckers on all the way before I determine that these are not clearly <laughs> pants for me. And I love that. You went all in on it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that this was Andrea passive aggressively getting back at me for something. It could be like me cracking jokes on a podcast or I, I don't know why, but she she could you know, be getting back at me. We'll leave it at this. <laughs> Knowing your wife, she probably statistically just, you know, threw the pants in there accidentally. But knowing Andrea, I wouldn't put it past her. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's uh, move on. Yep. So updates, podcast updates. Check out our website, ecrimebytes.com. 
uh, bite spelled with a Y as in yellow. And up at the top, there's a whole bunch of words and links. And go up there, find your favorite thing. We've got YouTube links. We've got Twitter links. We've got Mastodon links. We've got Facebook links. We've got uh, LinkedIn links. we got links all over the place. Check out what we have. Uh, because there's a lot of new stuff. So if you've been there before, do go back because I'm always adding new stuff. Um, and that's my second thought here, which is we're bu- we're making a podcast, but I'm also busy building out our presence online. So I just made our first Instagram account, or not our first, but our, our Instagram account, Bites, for instance, this week. And um, if you check back every week, then you're liable to find something new because I'm always improving on our presence. Um, just some other examples for you. If you go to the top link, I have a newsletter. So if you prefer to get updates for this podcast via email, we got that. I saw that there were a few signups last week. and appreciate that. As soon as we get a little bit of critical mass, I'm going to send out our first few emails. Uh, I got my personal website. So there's a lot of cases that don't really make it to the cut of a podcast. So I will usually stick a note there of, Hey, here's a cool case that I found or a funny case or an interesting case. And I'll put some links and maybe some comments around it. But the big link up top is the YouTube link. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'd really like to be able to see the slides or their faces, or as they wave their hands, we got you covered. Now we got, we're on YouTube. And if you look, click those links, it goes straight to the eCrime Bytes list on YouTube, like the playlist. And you can pick your episode. And starting with episode seven, we now have video plus the audio. So hope you enjoy that. Some days, um, if you do sign up, some days, it's my personal account. So some days I will post a under 60 second YouTube clip about just an interesting case. Like this week I had a case called I called it officer, quote unquote, give me your nudes or officer TikTok. And the officer, give me your nudes was an officer that basically extorted women to send him nudes. And it was a pretty egregious case. And did did you need to really explain that? I feel like that was fairly um, self, self. uh, (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess. Um, but there was a lot more that this guy did. At first, it started out with like one person, and then it spread to eighteen. And I was like, "All right, cool. not cool, but yeah, I can understand. You know, it probably just wasn't one." But then this guy accessed over almost three thousand email addresses, like of a it sounded like of a local, um, like a university or something, looking for more things like nudes. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" So. It's cases like this where I don't have a lot of court paperwork and we don't have a ton of information yet to make a podcast episode. But if you're interested in it, we got it there. There's another officer that uh, would live stream a traffic stop on TikTok. And then the uh, victim, basically the person that was pulled over, then had people contact him from the Internet that was like, hey, I saw your driver's license. And he was like, what? So, yeah. So more updates on YouTube. I found some cool functionality where I can make chapters. So in these new episodes, starting with the last one in episode seven, I've been making notes and I get the times and I have a title and on YouTube, you can actually go straight to 
whatever it is you might be interested in the podcast. So if you're not interested in our jokes, go straight to the meat of the case. And you can see that in the, um, like the table of contents on there. And if you're watching this, I'm showing you visually what this looks like now for a visual that works well because you can click and go straight to it and so forth. But what I'm trying to do for our audio folks as well is at least leave this, this text only version of this list in the description for you. And I apologize that it makes the, it makes the description of the podcast episode longer because it's a, here I'm looking at what, maybe 30 chapters, but at least you have it in the audio sense too. So you can just go scroll down to the bottom and say, Oh, I want to scroll right to uh, where victim three loses cryptocurrency in our last episode. And I actually got that book marked out for you now. All right. So now on to our case, my very first caveat with this case, before I let you, uh, I'm going to let you go with the first bullet after this, Seth is this case was really hard to research because most of the court documents, at least at the point where I was doing the lion's share of the research, were they were sealed. So I had to piece things together through news articles and other, I had to rely on less court documents than I usually have to. So if it seems like we are missing bits and pieces to this case, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, with so that, yeah, wanna... I mean, okay. I do want to take one quick pause here and make it clear: we are in no way uh, denigrating or, or bad mouthing uh, law enforcement. I work with many people in law enforcement. Keith does as well. Um, we have family and friends in law enforcement. That being said, my personal piece is this: if you do work in law enforcement, I personally would hold someone to a higher standard um, to uphold the law. Call me crazy, <laughs> but, um, so, and the other, and as Keith mentioned earlier, when you do see law enforcement that has specific access to certain tools, uh, that can clearly invade on a person's privacy, it can get real ugly really quickly, which is what happened here. So, um, with that, let's jump into the case. So let's look back, uh, late September, 2020. So we were probably knee deep in COVID at that point, unless I'm thinking that was too early. No, that sounds right. We were knee deep in COVID at that point. Um, we can role play Jane in this Doe. one too. What's that? I said we can role play in this one. I'll be the victim if you want to be Wilson. All right, you're the victim. Uh, okay. Jane Doe victim reports. So um, I'll be Wilson, who is. Uh, I guess we should pause for a second and give uh, some character. Who is Mr. Wilson, Keith? Sure, Wilson. We, Wilson. we we jump the gun here. We have a slide coming up in a second, but Wilson is the uh, the very first officer we're going to talk about. It's the. He's the officer that was on the left in the picture that was just the head, the mugshot. Yeah, shot. he had the, uh, the mask that was pulled down, yeah. So this is Officer Wilson, not a nice guy. And what I love about this text exchange is it comes off like so initially like cash, like, hey, and then it kind of veers into like, oh, I'm extorting you. So let's role play. I'm Officer Asshole. Uh, and he starts, I'm curious which picture you'd prefer me to use as the focal point of a collage I'm making. And pictures were attached, of course. Yeah, and the pictures were naked pictures of her. And I should say before I start talking as the victim, she doesn't know who this is. Uh, right, just random guy pings her. Do we know what, um, what communications channel they were using here, Keith? Uh, text exchange, it says. Um, I so think... this was via mobile. Okay, so we're talking yeah, mobile here. Most likely it was probably like a, one of those fake soft numbers from the, uh, like a Google voice number or something like that. Yep. Not, not like a physical phone that we talked about in prior episodes. 
But anyways, sorry for that tangent. Here the victim now says, who is this? So Officer Whit Wilson, I've called him Officer Asshole before. Hey, you cool with me posting them? I'm telling you, everyone's going to love them. How did you get these? So Wilson clearly had said something else, goes, uh, I had planned to send your pictures to your parents, your brother, your grandparents, sisters, friends, Facebook, Pornhub, employer, etc. But I would gladly keep all of this between you and I and tell you who sent them to me if you promise to leave me out of the drama and show me a few more pics. That way we can both benefit. Yeah, I mean, if you're... Oh, man, stop. Stop for a moment. It's kind of like, imagine being in her... She's like, oh, my God, a guy just sent me my pictures. And then he's like, give me some more, and I won't give them to everybody. It's like, what do you do at that point? What do you do? So, yeah, imagine you had some personal photos you have taken with your you know, your, your significant other, what have you, on your phone. And I'm sure many people fall into this category. You assume that they never got away from your phone. And suddenly a, a stranger texts you and basically says, these are going to go to all these places, your family, your loved ones, your employer, publicly into Pornhub, uh, unless you send me some more of these. Um, and I, I can't imagine everybody wouldn't legitimately um, panic. I, I, you know, it's just really, really a scary thing. And it really... Uh, not just an obvious, not just a huge invasion of privacy, obviously, but a scary one. Yeah, and so he continues. Wilson continues, and he would identify victims and then gain access to their social media accounts. And when I was looking for how he did this, the best I could come up with was the little blurb I have in this slide here. And I'll read. I'll, I'll read it for you and basically give you my take. It says. Um, so this is after he identified his victims. It says Wilson then shared that information with a hacker who hacked into women's private Snapchat accounts, seeking to obtain sexually explicit photographs and videos. So the way I read that was basically, he probably found somebody like, remember our episode on violence, like a service. I mean, there's hacking like a service. Basically you can find somebody on the internet to do something for the right amount of money. And he probably or, found some, or in the course of his police work, this was like you know kind of either maybe a um, a CI confidential informant or somebody that was in trouble with the law and in an, you know in some kind of exchange for less pressure from the police or some kind of leniency, do this for me. This is all conjecture, but I I, I wouldn't uh, be shocked that that was the case. Yeah. Um, let's see. Victims were all young women, at least 25. Well, so hold on. So we know that the first, the last conversation was one victim. There were many others. So in September and October, um, so, you know, remember the last one was late September. So into 2020, into October, 2020, there were other victims and the subject would identify the victims and then he'd gain access to the social media accounts. And we saw a couple of, um, well, several, I guess, patterns here. Keith, you want to walk us through these patterns? Yeah. And I wanted to make a note there that when I said at least 25, I mean, women, not your, yeah, not their age. Cause I was, I was just talking about how they were young, but that was, a it wasn't an arbitrary age. It was a, it's a volume of women. Yes. Volume of people. Yeah. So the pattern was their Snapchat accounts were accessed. There were nude photos. If they had nude photos in their Snapchat account, they were downloaded. Uh, the hacker would download those images to something they owned. And then they would extort those victims for more nude photos, just like we saw with that victim one in the last slide here. 
um, he basically would say, I have these new photos. Here's proof. And if you don't give me more, I'm going to uh, release this to your family, coworkers, porn sites, internet, and so forth. And this is what bothered me. I had to make a note of this is over It's not like he stopped there. It's not like he went, it wasn't like just a porn business for him. He then started degrading the victims, calling them things like sluts, whores, and bitches to them over the text message. And like immediately, I'm just thinking to myself, this guy just seems to have a serious, serious problem with women. I also found it interesting that he wasn't extorting them for money. He was extorting them for additional pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. I mean, unless there's something, again, we don't have the full suite of court documents here that were not available, but... Anyway, all right, so more on the additional victims. So um, we know about victims one through six from court paperwork. There were other news articles identifying at least another 25 victims, but they were not contacted for purposes, I guess, of the news story. And in one case, the subject sent the nude photos to the victim's employer, I guess, in terms of flexing on the, uh, on the threat, and it did nearly cause her to lose her job. And the officer here also released the stolen nude photos online bragged about his exploits, and then provided uh, his kick contact into info to others. And Keith, you want to tell us briefly what kick is? Because I was not familiar with it when I first read these notes. Yeah, kick was, um, I like to relate things to things people know, but whatever your favorite chat application is, kick, kick was one of them. It's K-I-K. Um, I believe kick is actually offline now. I think they're, um, I think they went defunct several years back, but basically it was kind of like an evolution of AOL IM, but for phone in a way. Does that make sense? Seth? So here's what's interesting about it to me. The court documents identify that the officer provided others with his kick, kick as in K-I-K, um, contact information so they could identify additional potential victims for him to hack. And then when the hack was successful, Wilson would, Officer Wilson, would then share the stolen photographs and videos. So it's kind of like, it reminds me of a prior podcast we talked about where, you know, uh, the website, or I guess the chat, rather, room where other criminals would get together and, I guess, collaborate or, or almost solicit each other work. Uh, it reminds me of that. Like, hey, if you do this, you know, we can get you in on whatever money was exchanged or what have you. By the way, those, that, the, I think that main site we talked about I believe it was uh, OG users. Keith, am I mistaken that? Anyway, it was yep. hacked. So um, keep in mind that, you know, I guess where criminals tend to um, to convene, uh, there's no honor there. And, and that those websites are more subject to being hacked than others. Moving on. Yeah, so uh, we said his name was R Wilson. His actual full name is Brian Andrew Wilson. And he's a violent crimes detective at Louisville Metro Police Department. So as part of his job, remember we talked about these law enforcement databases, there's this database called Accurant, and I'll spell it for you. It's A-C-C-U-R-I-N-T, which is a law enforcement database that provides phone numbers and social media accounts, and it's supposed to be used for, for police, for police purposes. But Official would, investigative business. And Keith, let right. me ask you this. And this is like a LexisNexis, which for those of you who are in the legal field, know that's kind of like an OG, uh, you know, legal um, provider, provider for legal services, mo mostly electronic online. Prior to that, they were actually doing old school books. Um, but 
and they of course you know have a they, their main main name to fame is keeping um uh you know an, an online repository of active uh case law you know uh, uh, across the united states but anyway keith what would you say is the difference between what is technically publicly available information you know through a really hardcore web scraping versus what is available and accurate uh well i mean i've never had access to accurate but from what i understand um actually i'm going to show you a couple slides in a second let me table that real quick and just finish off the slide because we've got some um, examples at least of what accurate says yeah we can provide. pause on that let's go through more about our subject yeah um so what brian wilson would do is he would uh target his victims using this database to find their social media accounts. So that then gave him the information. So now he has social media usernames. He would then ask others on the internet, either, you know, actually we don't really know how he asked others on the internet, but Seth's idea was actually very good, which was maybe he already knew somebody that could get access to the accounts. And this is the conspiracy. This, there could be a bazillion different ways they got access to the accounts and, name almost any of the uh, prior episodes that we did for um, e-crime bites where we talked about sim swapping or uh, phishing and so forth. All those methods could be used to get access to these accounts. And then he would also encourage his accomplices to target more victims and they would share the nude images together, sort of like this weird pornographic pyramid scheme. So accurate. Yes. So let's talk about accurate. Yep. So accurate is actually, um, I'll just go ahead and answer your question, Seth. You said, um, what is it? And you can actually see that accurate is part of LexisNexis now. And um, at least their, their website says that with their database, you'll be able to find you know people, location, assets, and stuff very quickly. Now I assume it's got to go way above and beyond what you can do with Google because Google's pretty darn good if somebody leaves, leaks their own personal information on you know, social media or something like that. So I would assume there's going to be something much more juicy behind the scenes that law enforcement want to pay for a database for that they couldn't just you know Google and get off of get somebody for well and the proof of of what the tool if you can go back a slide keith i think it's very interesting to read the very very small text at the bottom of what on the front i guess public facing page of this tool uh advertises itself as it says it's been developed by experienced law enforcement professionals and it enables law enforcement agencies to locate suspects find missing children and quickly solve cases so if you think of your you know run-of-the-mill non-murder i guess it could involve a murder non-sexy cases of oh well you know we have somebody who has filed i don't know a complaint against somebody and you know or somebody has maybe hit somebody with a car you know it's a great way to locate you know i guess certain personal information i mean this is stuff that you generally want to keep private um but if it's out there it sounds like this tool has a, a, an ability to go deeper than google or other search tools uh into uh records that are public but maybe public in a slightly different way than what you might think as general public but generally the point i'm making is to be used for good purposes like finding missing children or solving you know crimes so he, it's scary to me to think that this was in the wrong hands think about what kind of powerful tool you now have 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I you can only imagine because you know they're showing you like there's an you know they have access to things that we don't have access to on Google. You have like insurance records, consumer records, um, name address combination, so like places you've lived, property records. A little bit of that you can get off of Google, but not probably not to this level. Uh, motor vehicle bankruptcy. Bankruptcy, I think you could probably get off of Google. Well, but the There's point like I want to make title. here is, if you're in the cyber cybersecurity world, this is the heavy, maybe other than health records, which I think is included in this to some extent, this is the heavy-duty stuff that so many states and federal agencies are trying to protect, right? <laughs> yes, so yes. They're trying, I mean, there's so many laws that are being passed and are being discussed this is if you guys study the GDPR, which is a European um, general data protection. If you study that and understand, this is generally a laundry list of the things that they're specifically trying to protect. So it gets to our point earlier that if you have a law enforcement official who's supposed to use this very, very uh, responsibly and with appropriate guardrails, um, if it goes off the rails, it can be really scary. And that's what happened here. I think that's really the only point I want to make on this. Yeah, and if we just move along, um, I thought this was interesting, this other little part. This is like, I don't know if this is like a an offshoot or part of the product or what, but it's called Accurate Tracks, which is tools for device geolocation and analysis. Um, if you've ever, we'll probably cover it at some point, but uh, the geofencing, basically when a crime happens and law enforcement can kind of look around and see what, cell phones might be in the area of a murder or something like that. I imagine that this is probably the product that would be an engine for yeah. that type of investigation. Well, this also leads me to think it does have access to things that's not generally public, right? I mean, you know, I'm assuming there's some kind of a handshake agreement between some of these cell phone providers to offer, you know, certain, I guess, um, telemetry or related uh, you know, longitude, latitude type information to help with that geolocation. And I'm assuming this is one of the few authorized tools that may be able to do it. Again, this is conjecture. I'm not an accurate um, user, um, but I, I'd be, I'm going to research this a little bit more because um, it sounds like I'm sure there's other cases we haven't even uncovered yet, Keith, where without the right guardrails on this, I'm sure, you know, both law enforcement or law enforcement adjacent professionals who work for law enforcement have access to this, who are analysts and so forth, who... I mean, this is really scary stuff that if any of this got made public or was used for nefarious purposes, how much damage it could wreak, it could have, it could cause. Yeah. Wreak havoc. That's, yeah. That's why you have to have trusted people in those positions. Um, yeah, obviously. And I, what, I, what I thought was interesting on this slide, and for those of you on audio, basically, this is just, I'm just kind of going through the marketing material that's on their website. And I highlighted this thing down at the bottom lower right hand corner where it says that you would be able to identify people, assets, addresses, relative, and business associates too. So it's like, you can imagine <laughs> the web, they're able to um, create or generate uh, off this data. So let's talk about how Wilson was caught. So we have some court documents here. So I'm gonna be doing a little bit of reading here. Um, but the alleged victim, I believe this is victim one that we talked about, who was the victim of that exchange, uh, told police in October of 2020 that Wilson sent her a text message on September 25th 
and threatened to post the photos online if she didn't send more. We remember this. And police said the woman also told Officer Wilson that she would send more photos after attending a funeral, but Wilson posted them anyway. Uh, so the arrest warrant states that the woman tried to keep her text with Wilson friendly so she could get as much information about him as possible to provide to the police. So investigators with the Kentucky State Police were able to identify Wilson using facial recognition technology, which is also really interesting because he had sent pictures of himself to the woman. So I found that to be really, really interesting. Um, he kind of got away with it until he decided to stupidly send pictures of his own self, you know, face to her. Um, the state police I, zeroed in on his location by tracking down the IP address associated with the texting app, as Keith mentioned, probably like a Google um, app, uh, being used to communicate with the victim. And the police did um, discover Wilson had hacked other women's accounts, which we know, and he posted their pictures online too. So this was kind of like the one major uh, hiccup uh, or error that uh, Officer Wilson, because it sounds like he basically got away with it otherwise, was arrogantly or stupidly or whatever um, sent a picture of him to her. And I hope to God it was just a picture of his face. That's yeah, all I well, thought when I was reading this. I'm assuming that you can't do facial recognition on somebody's uh, uh, penis or other parts of their body. But what do I know? Well, hold on a second. We've got something at the end of this story that may, maybe they tied it together. Anyway, so do you think so? We're going to pause here on the cyber stalking because this police department is actually very busy and some other stuff happens. So my comment here is, do you think this is the end of our story? And the answer is no, of course not, because the LMPD has another incident called Slushy Gate. All right. LMPD, Louisiana Metro uh, Police Department. Louisville. Excuse me. Louisville. Louisville. God. Yeah. <laughs> we'll right, that so out. this takes place um, August 28th through uh, September 19th. And the officers on duty were in... So they were, in, they were in police officer clothing, but they were in unmarked cars. So you can imagine for most people, if they just drove by and you're not really looking in the car, they just look like normal people driving down the road. And they would stop and they would buy large drinks. And that's where slushy comes into the slushy gate. And I don't mean to laugh uh, on behalf of the victims, but it's just, this seems so stupid. Like if you, like what is the payoff? Yeah, if you told me that my 15 year old kids were doing this, I'd be like, how could it be so stupid? And then you find out that it's being done by adults who are law enforcement. The arrogance really kind of bothers me, actually, because, again, I, I hold law enforcement to a high standard morally and ethically. And obviously there's bad apples here. But to do something as egregiously obnoxious and stupid as this as an adult, I found really offensive. Yeah, so they would drive, so they'd have their slushies and they would drive through looking for targets just walking down the sidewalk or the street. One of the officers in the group of officers, and that's why I say we know of two, but it's probably more. So one of the officers would identify a target and announce on the police radio to the other officers, someone was thirsty or thirsty fam. The unmarked car would slow down next to the victim that was walking, had no idea it was police officer or anybody else. The officer would throw a beverage on the victim, and then they speed off. Okay. Imagine being the victim there for a second. You don't know that it's police officers playing this horrible, horrible 
prank or whatever the hell it is that they're doing. And all of a sudden, something comes flying out the car at you and sloshes you. And if I was all red, I'd be like, oh, my God, did I just get shot? Like, it would be a terrifying But think moment. about it. What do you do? Do you call the cops? They just left. So it's not like, you know, you have a lot of options there in terms of trying to report, you know, I'm not exactly sure what crime that would fall under other than, I guess, some kind of assault. Um, but uh, it's just, like I said, generally an, a completely asshole thing to do exacerbated by the fact that they use police property to to do that and of course the fact that they are adult police officers so a little bit more on slushy gate um as keith noted there were sometimes more than one police cars involved so it's almost like this was being done as a i don't want to say a sting operation that's not the right way but it was clearly a coordinated uh, uh, operation the incidents were recorded by the officers so they could clearly laugh about it at a later stage the videos were then shared inside the department Many victims were hit with beverages, and at least one victim was apparently knocked to the ground by a thrown beverage, meaning it was thrown with some force. Yeah, so who participated in Slushy Gate? Well, right, why are we telling you about Slushy Gate? <laughs> Brian one of them. freaking Wilson, not the singer. Yep, we know one of them. That's Brian Wilson. And now we know who the other detective is. It was the one on the, um, the right side of the picture. Uh, yeah, the full dress uniform, right, Officer Flynn. His name was Curtis Flynn. So uh, let's see here. Um, they would record the the electronic portion of this this case is they would basically record their crimes just like Pat the Bat did in episode three. <laughs> I don't know for what reason, maybe to share it like with her department mates of some sort but oh, i think it was clearly to kind of brag about it and say look look what we did it's hilarious yeah so this is curtis flynn and brian wilson i actually have them switched on this one compared to the one you saw at the beginning so the guy that was in the mugshot is actually on the right side in this uh picture if you're watching it on the youtube channel and curtis flynn which is the same picture that we showed you in the last one um he's on the left hand side and Brian Wilson's actually in his dress uniform here. He actually looks like a police officer and not behind a mugshot that we showed you before. So if you think slushy Kate is the end, it's not. So now we're going to fast forward a year to 2019, early October, where, quote, a Louisiana, excuse me, Louisiana, a Louisville, can you tell him from New York? A Louisville Metro police detective is under investigation in connection with a photo he allegedly posted on social media showing a woman in a police uniform performing oral sex on him. So this, as I read this note, Keith, it triggered, I mean, it's problematic from several perspectives. One of which, though, is um, there are laws that, you know, will protect people from uh, what they call, I guess, revenge porn. So that's an actual law that is coming up. It's definitely in New York and I believe uh, other states as well. The idea being that if you have a bad breakup and you happen to have, uh, you know, photos or video of a prior, you know, I guess romantic um, uh, period or, or action rather, if you post it to shame somebody, it's illegal. Uh, you're not only violating their privacy, they look at it as an aggressive uh, criminal act. So... Uh, Wilson was uh, also being investigated for allegedly having sex while on duty. Uh, that was uh, reported to the local news uh, outlet there. 
And quote, police do not yet know the identity of the woman in the photo or if she's even an LMPD officer, but she appears to be wearing a police uniform in the picture, a copy of which the news has obtained. Yeah, and the keyword in there was Wilson. It's the same officer. Yes, Brian Wilson. So we fast forward to June 21st, 2022, and I was able to find that Wilson pleads guilty. So at the point where he pleads guilty, and you're going to see the case progresses here. So at the point where he pled guilty, he was originally looking at about 15 years for Slushy Gate and the cyberstalking conspiracy. We're going to see that 15 years is not exactly what he got. Uh, so he decided to plead guilty to Slushy Gate and the cyberstalking conspiracy. Right. So, and then the next day, was it the same day? Uh, same Officer day. Flynn also pled guilty. So he pled guilty to the Slushy Gate situation, also faced up to 10 years in prison. Let's see what they actually got. So now it's October 19th, 2022, and we have Slushy Gate sentencing. And when I initially researched this, Seth, it was we got to the point where I I got to this point where it was Slushy Gate had a sentencing. And I was like, okay. And I put it in the slides and I was like, this seems about right. And that's where the case stopped. But I did my last check, like I tell you, I always try to, and we got some more information after this. So Hold on. The slushy gate sentencing was for Wilson, 30 months in prison and three years supervised release. So you're looking at just shy of three years for Wilson. Flynn got three months in prison, three years supervised release and 120 hours community service, which, okay, three years for slushy gate. That's, that feels kind of right, maybe. But for the stocking, Let's talk about the stalking. Now we fast forward to December 15th, 2022, and Wilson is sentenced for his stalking conviction. Um, he is in prison for a total term of three months on uh, count one, and, count one, which is a conspiracy. They call it conspiracy against rights and 30 months imprisonment on count one of the information in, I guess it would be the second one, which is conspiracy to stalking. So one of them, it sounds like is taking her, right, her rights away. And the other one, it sounds like he's stuck with a group of hackers online. It's kind of how I read this. Conviction. So let's break this any? down. So of these two counts, we have 30 months, sorry, we have three months and 30 months, but within this specific sentencing, they're running concurrently. So he's not doing 33 months. He's going to do 30 months because it one includes the other, but I don't know if this conviction is also concurrent with the 30 months for slushy gate or is it on top of? So in other words, is he doing six years or is he doing three years? Good point. I don't have that information. Yeah, um, that's interesting. The monetary but anyway, regardless, um, was the monetary penalties. I'm sorry, Keith, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to let you lead into it. I was, the monetary penalty I thought was pretty low. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, there was an assessment of 200 bucks, no fine, and a restitution payment of uh, nine, a little over $9,000. And similarly, and I guess this is, sounds fairly standard, um, the court makes the following recommendations. So the court recommends a defendant is evaluated for a residential drug abuse program. And again, we do or don't know 
sorry, we don't know if the user was or was not using drugs or drugs were a part of this or not. It wasn't disclosed. Um, and then supervised release, which means he's got to visit a probation officer probably weekly uh, for three years, which is a long time to deal with being on probation for a nonviolent crime. Anyway, additional stalking sentences. 120 hours of community service, which we saw is probably some kind of um, regulation, mandatory. Computer monitoring, which is interesting. And then, of course, potential or possible sex offender registry. And I guess that is dependent on the evaluation. And keep in mind, when you're registered as a sex offender, it makes it really hard to do things like buy or rent a home um, or get a job. I'm assuming they lost their jobs on this, Keith. Did we actually get any... um, finalization on that i'm assuming they are no longer police officers yeah i believe when they play by the time they play guilty i believe they weren't police officers the so one could argue they got off light but i'm pretty sure these guys lives are ruined um maybe they'll be able to find work as like a contractor in you know some part of uh, a war-torn area overseas but uh, i think they're gonna have a hard time finding work in the united states ever again i you know that I italicized it on our slide, which is depending on evaluation. That bothered me because it seemed like he had he had a sexual problem and he had anger towards women. And then I read that in the paperwork where it was like, it kind of made it sound like, ah, we'll decide whether or not he's going to be on the sex offender registry afterwards and we'll evaluate him and maybe see. It's like a lot of the other paperwork is kind of like, oh, Yep, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're doing this. And this was just kind of just very vague and it was just bothersome. Yeah, for sure. And all right. So I didn't talk about this at the beginning on purpose, but if you wonder, you're like Louisville, how do I know Louisville? Well, this is also the same department that was involved with the Breonna Taylor shooting. And, you know, they're under investigation. There's four officers investigated there uh, federally for federal rights offenses, conspiracies, obstruction, use of excessive force, and you name it. So um, now you can kind of tie that department. All that stuff that we just told you also is going on in that department while this national news is happening in front of you as well. Yep. So what did we learn here? Let's go through this. Uh, Keith, we'll kind of go back and forth on this. I'll start. This should sound fairly obvious. Most of you are going to be shaking your heads, but... People keep posting nude photos of themselves or their partners or friends online. So I really recommend that you avoid doing that. Um, Never assume your stuff is totally secure. It's generally just a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And Louisville Metro Police Department has some issues. Just in our podcast, we saw four cases alone that were very suspicious if we're conservative and saying suspicious. Right. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you have a real interest in cybercrime like we do. So we understand that the sealed court documents here hid a lot of the details of these crimes, right? We don't know how Wilson hacked into the victim's accounts. We do not know. So like I said, we can conjecture here. I suspect that he uh, either, like I said, as a police officer, probably has a lot of access to a lot of uh, CD people or people who have access to CD material or, or skills but we also learned from prior episodes that it's not that hard to log on to an account, not necessarily even on the dark web, but certainly on the dark web, to basically solicit you know, people to hack other people's uh, personal accounts and private lives and gain you know, uh, content. It's actually very easy to do that. So um, you know, we, unfortunately, we don't have the details of that, but I think we can conjecture fairly accurately here. 
Yeah, and I thought that I thought there were two reasons. Well, a my next point is it felt like their sentences were very low, especially how I want to say aggravating, but I don't mean that in the legal sense. I just mean in the human sense of what they did or what he did in the stalking case. It just, it felt low to me, um, especially when it comes to the sex offender registry, depending on an evaluation. And it made me think of there's possibly two reasons they got that low sentence, at least in my opinion, low one is they're police officers. So I imagine there's some leniency in that one, but the other is, I think it's because they pled guilty. I didn't see a lot of court paperwork of going back and forth emotions and so forth. It just seemed like the information came out. They had a bunch of evidence in the department and then there was a, a, a guilty plea. I'm sure there might have been actually other sub issues that just might have played into it, whether it's because they were first time technical offenders or the fact that the Louisville Metro Police Department has major other problems right now and they didn't want to draw more attention to it. Uh, I'm sure that's a lot of politics around that, possibly. So the last item is uh, law enforcement databases linking people to other people on online accounts exist, as I mentioned, and they certainly can be used for nefarious purposes. Hey, so that's it. That's the end of our episode. I hope you enjoyed this. I know I enjoyed it. I just want to quickly say, go to our website. Like I said, at the top there, a whole bunch of icons. Just just explore. Just go have fun and explore. Go to the glossary. Very, very helpful. Yep, the glossary especially. The website you want to go to is E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y as in yellow, T-E-S dot com. It's just E-C-R-I-M-B-Y-T-S. Dot com, And if you have extra time and you really like our podcast, please do subscribe on your podcasting app and leave us a positive review. Uh, that just helps us get up in the search criteria when other people are looking for electronic true crime podcasts. And with that, I want to thank you for sticking around to the end. I want to thank everybody that's been listening. I mean, we're on our eighth episode. I never dreamt I'd get this far ever. Did you, Seth? Uh, I figured after our wives listened to it, we'd be done. So uh, it actually is really one of the best parts of my uh, week is knowing I get to reconnect with Dr. Jones here. And, you know, we're hearing from people I know who I uh, have watched the or listened rather like they really enjoy it. And they, they you know, learn something new and it, it calms them or they relax or they run or whatever they do with it. So hopefully we're bringing a little bit of info and smile and joy or entertainment uh, to your lives. But also hopefully you're learning something right. You know. Um, learning about you know what technology can do in the wrong hands and maybe some ways to think about how to protect yourself in day-to-day life in terms of your banking or your mobile device use or your internet use things like that yeah absolutely and when i came up with the idea of the podcast last year i knew 100 percent i did not want it to be dry just being read crime information to you it had to be kind of funny-ish and i hope we're fulfilling that for you so i hope you come back and you see us in episode nine because the cases are going to get even crazier from here so thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon bye thank you all
Bro, light it, bro, light it, light it. Bro, light it, light it, fucking light it. Bro, pick it up.